Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, it says this. He's having a conversation here with the Pharisees. And um, we know the Pharisees were some of the most religious people that lived during that day. They were real committed to religion. But when Jesus came along, he was the fulfillment of everything that was in the Word of God. He was God in the flesh. He was walking on the earth. And somehow this group of religious people missed him. They didn't see him when he came. And so his leadership didn't come from the Pharisees. How many know that? Leadership came from common people who recognized who he was and began to worship him and began to serve him and began to pour out. And so Jesus, uh, everywhere he went, they were addressing him um, about different issues. So Jesus turns to them here in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, and he says, These people, and this is a quote from the Old Testament. So these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak your word today, Lord. Lord, make us the kind of people you want us to be, Lord. The kind of church you want us to be, Lord. Lord, do this by your Spirit, Lord. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Praise the Lord. You see, he said that they worship God in vain. We hate doing something that is in vain. Like, why did I just do all that? Why did I just spend my last hour, my last two hours, my last three hours? How many have ever done something in vain? Like, I did all that work and I have nothing to show for it. And God is saying it's possible to worship in vain. Did you catch that? It's possible to worship God in vain. Because that's what they were doing. He said that they honor me with their lips. So what were they doing? Their lips were honoring God. That means we can sing songs about God. We can honor God with our words and our lips, but our heart can be far from God. Which causes us to do all that work vain. There is a worship that God rejects. See, here's the thing about God. In, in, the, in the culture that we have, we think that we can worship any way that we please. We think we can do whatever and God will accept it because that's just my way of doing it. So we make all kinds of rules traditions, ideas, and we say, I can do it my way. Like that song, did it my way. You're waiting for me to sing it, aren't you? Yeah, I can see you. Curtis is like, he's going to sing it, and I really I really want to, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all right when I do that. Ryan, Ryan deletes it out of the... Oh, you leave it in there, okay. <laughs> all right. 
But how many know we have to be really careful? Because if we're not careful, we can change worship. When God tells us there's a certain way I want it done, let me know that God went to great lengths in the Old Testament and the New Testament both, trying to prescribe exactly what worship is supposed to look like. In fact, he spent a couple of chapters talking about, I don't know, the creation of the universe, the heavens and the earth and everything that's in it. He spent a couple of chapters, but he spent like seven chapters and 200 and something words to explain exactly in detail how you worship in his tabernacle. Isn't that weird? But he was really careful because he wanted to make sure that this subject, this issue of worship, that we totally understand what he expects from us because worship must mean something really important. Because the Bible says that whatever... Uh, you treasure in your, wherever your treasure is, that is where your heart is. So every person on earth, the Bible says, you will serve one master. You can't serve God and you can't serve mammon. You can't serve God and you can't serve money. It says you can't serve the Lord um, and serve the devil. So the Bible says every human being is going to do this thing called worship. And what's going to happen is, whoever you are, the essence of who you are, that fire of passion is going to hit your heart, and some type of odor is going to come up before the Lord. And it's either going to be accepted or it's going to be rejected. And so when we come into church, sometimes we think, well, we had a worship service. And we say, that's what worship is. Worship is the worship service. And that worship service, I'll tell you today, can be, will be whatever you make it to be. If what you're doing is, if your lips are giving honor to God by reading the slides, which are beautiful, by the way. Beautiful, clear graphics. I don't want to get into that. I've already, we did that last week. I'm not going back to that. Looking forward. Thank you, Connie. Give her a hand. Real rousing applause, all right. Awesome stuff. But, if all we're doing is giving honor to you, God, you say, well, wait a minute, I'm giving honor to God, that's a good thing. Not if your heart's far from Him. He's given, he'll give us the same message He gave the religious people in His day that didn't even realize who He was. And God doesn't want us to be far from Him. In fact, God had a whole group of people that He uh, employed to be around that tabernacle to make sure the sacrifice that was being offered was acceptable. You know that every little detail, they had to wash their hands in a certain way. They had to uh, wear certain garments in a certain way. They had to prepare the sacrifice in a certain way. The sacrifice had to look a certain way. had to be without any defects. had to be their very best God had extreme details, and if I sat here today and explained every detail, we would miss the point. Because the point was, I have a way that I want it to be done, and you're going to do it my way. Your way is not acceptable to me. So, well, wait a minute, i got rights. I live in the United States of America. God says, I know where you live, and it's my footstool. 
and you're either going to please me or I'm not going to accept you. Now, we all like to be accepted. Right? We don't like to be rejected. I especially don't want to be rejected by God. And my purpose in this message not is to point out why a person would be rejected. If you come into church and you think the purpose of a minister ministering is to tell you why you're rejected, we're listening to the wrong ministers. My purpose in here is to make sure you're accepted. Because how many know God so loved the world, He gave His only Son so everybody would be rejected or accepted? I really messed that up. Let me, let me redo that. Clean that off. Yeah, erase that part of it. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son so you would be accepted. He wants everybody to be accepted. And the only reason we wouldn't be accepted is if we reject Him first. And we say, God, I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it my way. I want to do it, I want to come to God my own way. And how many know this nation is full of people that are doing it their own way and God's saying, no, it's not going to work. So we have a people that's hearts are far from God. And man, when you're far from God, how am I ever going to receive what He has for me right now? In fact, I can tell you right now, there's so much optimism in my heart because I'm only here a little longer. How many know that? I'm only here a little longer and that's the best news I've heard all day. I love being here. I love being around my family. I love Christmas season. I love all the things that are around me. But something just keeps hanging over me. And it's hanging over you too. And some of you, it's dread and it's hopelessness and it's helplessness. And it's, man, my life's almost over and desperate. Every day you drag yourself around and you're depressed. And, and over me is the same thing, but it's like a canopy of love. It says, Chad, it's not going to be much longer. Me and you are going to be together. Chad, it's not going to be much longer. You're going to have the wealth of the universe. You're an inheritor of the entire universe that I made for you. And it's going to be very soon. Every tear will be dried from your eye. Very soon you're going to be the wealthiest person on this planet because of the riches of my glory. Very soon there's going to be no death, no sickness, no sorrow, no suffering, no anxiety, no depression. And every day... I live in that glory. But if I'm rejected, I can't live with that. I can't live with the rejection because that rejection of God is a rejection of my whole future and my whole hope. And if I have to live hopeless, I can't live. And some of you are living hopeless and you've chosen to be rejected by God. There's a book in the Bible here, and I'm going to start here and begin to show you something very interesting. There was a prophet by the name of Amos. Now, does anybody know why Amos was famous? Eddie, why was Amos famous? Cookies. He was the greatest cookie maker in the land. Okay. I'm not aware of any making of cookies by Amos. But Amos was a poor farmer. He uh, would take care of the sheep, but it was a very dry, rugged, arid area. This area that John the Baptist was from. 
this area down south of Jerusalem, about 12 miles, 6 miles from Bethlehem. He was from the south. The nation was split in two. He came from the south to go prophesy in the north. And Amos was this rough, rugged farmer who took care of sheep. And then when he wasn't taking care of sheep, he had the lowly job of going to each individual sycamore fig tree and cutting it so it can blossom. It's a very humble, dirty, probably, I don't know, he might have been clean. He was rough, though. He was rugged. He had hands that looked like he'd worked a little bit. And God would send him straight up to the house of God, Bethel. And in Bethel, there was a temple there. And that temple was specifically made to be an alternative to the real temple. I mean, know this. Alternative worship. It was an alternative house of worship. In fact, at the alternative house of worship, you could do whatever you wanted. Do it your own way. In fact, this king, Jeroboam, listen to what it says here. Jeroboam became, now Amos came a couple hundred years after Jeroboam. But this is how this alternative house of worship started. How many think we have alternative house of worship today? There's lots of places where there's worship going up before God and they say, man, that sounds really good in my own heart. But God's saying, I don't want you to be rejected. I don't, want, I don't want you to be rejected. I want you to dwell close to me. I don't want you to give me honor with my lips and be far from me because you don't know how to worship the living God. In places all over this country this morning, there are alternative places of worship. They're doing what's right in their own eyes, but God is rejecting everything that comes honorable from their lips. It wasn't that they weren't saying honorable things about God. They were saying, oh, I love God. Everybody loves God. We're all Christians. And it wasn't that they weren't honoring God. They were just saying, well, God would just want me to love everybody, and there's no right and there's no wrong. Alternative possible. It's not how God revealed the way to do it. Alternative. Some are like, well, we have rules and we have traditions. Well, is that in the Bible? No, but these rules and traditions draw us near to God. And God's supposed to. I've shown you how to do it, and if you're not doing it, then you're not drawn close to me, you're far from me. And so the roots of this alternative house of worship are found in a man called Jeroboam. See, there was a united kingdom. The nation was all one. The nation was unified. Then the nation, because of the sins... Of Solomon, God said that this nation is going to split in. It's going to split right down the middle, the north and the south. And ten of these nations are going to leave, but I'm going to leave two for the sake of David that I loved. Prophecies that were going to come through David. So they became southern Jerusalem, but northern Jerusalem is with Jeroboam. Look what Jeroboam did. Then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim. This is First uh, Kings chapter 12, verse 25. From there he went and built up Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert back to the house of David. If these people go up and offer sacrifice at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance back to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. They will kill me and return to their king. After seeking advice, he made two golden calves. 
He said to the people, it is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel. These are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel and one he set up in Dan, and the thing became a sin to the people. They came and worshipped one at Bethel, and they came as far as Dan to worship the other. Jeroboam built shrines on the high places, appointed priests from all the people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the festival held in Judah. He offered sacrifices on his altar. Then this he did in Bethel, sacrificing to calves that he had made. In Bethel he installed priests at the high places. Do you see that this guy just made his own religious system? He made his own priests. He made his own feast days. He did everything. He just made his whole religious system and then said the God of heaven is now in the shape of a golden calf, which there was history to that. They mixed their God with the gods of the Canaanites and they said that this bull, who in the other religion symbolizes strength, is now the symbol of Yahweh. The one that brought you out of Egypt, the God of the Bible, now is in the form of a bull. Now worship Yahweh and the bull is the symbol because the bull is strong. I mean, no, the same thing is happening today. People are saying the name of Christ they're claiming that Jesus is this. They're claiming that Jesus is that. They're, they're saying that He's a... In fact, I'm going to read in Romans in a minute. They begin to devolve from the worship of God to something that was not even recognizable anymore. And so Jeroboam begins to do this, but something strange happened. This is how merciful God is. This is around 930 B.C. Now, I'm going to give you some dates here, and I hope you can follow along with me on Sunday morning. Around 9.30, Jeroboam puts this golden calf in there. Jeroboam's really pleased with himself. I've got my own religion. How many know people do this? Man, I've got my own church. It's at my house. Our worship is now the worship of a televangelist. I just watch it on TV or listen to the program. Right? I've got my own system. But the Bible says don't forsake the gathering of themselves together. The Bible says you should be accountable to leadership that he ordains. Well, how can I do that if I'm not a church? It's my system. God's pleased with my system. My system works out really well. My system is just be nice to people. My system is just be good to people. My system is have more good than bad. You understand how we build our own system and we think that God accepts it, but God over and over is saying, I don't accept it. I can't accept it. I'm rejecting it. And this house he was rejecting, and Jeroboam was the root of it. Jeroboam was very pleased with himself. He's standing by his own altar offering sacrifices to God. He's honoring God. Let me know that he's honoring God with his lips, but his heart is really far away from God. It says in verse 13, By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by his altar to make an offering. By the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar. He's not even talking to Jeroboam. Jeroboam's standing next to the altar. The prophet begins to cry out against his altar. He's talking to an inanimate object here, right? He starts yelling at the altar, 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 this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. And you will... On you, he's talking to the altar still, on you, 
um, he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you, altar. The same day the man of God gave a sign. This is a sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split in half, and ashes will be poured out. When King Jeroboam heard this, what the man of God cried out against his altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him. But the hand he stretched out shriveled up so he could not even pull it back. Now here's a a notation of history here. Also, that altar was split apart, and its ashes were poured out according to the sign that was given to the man of God by the word of the Lord. I'll get back to that in a second. So I want you to paint the picture here. He's standing by his altar that he made his own religion to serve God. And while he's standing there making sacrifices, the man of God, nobody knows who he is, just walks in and says, starts speaking to the altar. The altar. Here's the sign I'm going to give you. There's going to be a person born in the south named Josiah. Now here's the problem. Josiah was born 300 years later. It's an amazing prophecy. 300 years later, Josiah was born, and as they're writing, they say this happened exactly like he said. Josiah came in and cleaned out every single altar that had false worship on it. He cleaned out every place that was not pleasing to God, and he was, I mean, this kid was on fire for God. He was a young kid on fire for God, and he came in and he cleared out all the altars, and he fulfilled this prophecy 300 years later. But the king says, seize that man for what he just said about my altar. And his arm shrivels up. He can't even use his arm anymore. And he says, speak to the Lord and restore my arm. And and they pray over his arm and it's restored back. Now you would think that that man would say to himself, I'm going down the wrong road here. He doesn't. Amos comes to this same city Amos came about 150, 200 years later. Shrine is still there. They're still worshiping God falsely. Amos walks in, this little farmer from the south, a rugged farmer, comes walking in and he begins to yell to the people that are there. And God begins to speak through this prophet and he says, I hate your offerings. He's speaking from God. God says, I hate your offerings. I hate your songs. I hate your worship. Everything that they were doing, he says, I don't like what you're doing here. This is false worship. I hate this. And God says, I've tried everything in the book of Amos. He says, I've tried drought. I've put roadblocks in front of you. I've put obstacles in front of you. I've blessed you. This is a time they were more blessed in their nation than they've ever been. They were rich. Does it remind you of anybody? Our nation's in a golden age. Our nation is wealthy compared to the world. They were wealthy. They were at the height of their power. They were doing well. And as soon as God blessed them, guess what they did? Turned their back on God. And so blessing wouldn't work. God couldn't rattle them. In fact, what's amazing about Amos, it's an amazing book. Amos came in and immediately started talking about how God was going to shake them and how He earthquake was about to hit. He prophesied an earthquake that hit two years later. Isn't that amazing? He prophesied Josiah who would come 300 years later. This is a powerful prophet here. And God's saying, will you please repent? This has been going on for 200 years. 
I've tried to bless you. The blessing doesn't work. You say, man, if God would just do something good, if God would just give me this, if God would just give me that, if God would give me a good job, God would give me a house. You guys are constantly, God has shown me that somebody this week is mad at God because he didn't answer the prayer the way you told him to. This week, you said, God, answer my prayer this way. He didn't answer it that way. And you said, I'm mad at God because you did not answer my prayer right. And God is telling you today, there's something wrong with your worship. He tried to bless them. He tried to give them good things. The nation was blessed more than they've ever been, but the more they got wealthy, the more damage they did to the people around them. They were oppressing the poor. They were harming the poor. They were damaging the people around them. They got richer and richer. In fact, this prophet walks in. I just want you to imagine a prophet walking into this house. And he called the women overweight cows. I'm not even lying. You talk about somebody that might not get an invitation back. He laid into the men because of their wealth. And the way the men behaved, the way they oppressed, the way they didn't use their strength for God, they used their strength to fill their own bellies. And then he said, well, wait a minute. You women. He said, you sit at home and the more money you make, the more you tell your husbands, continue to oppress the poor so we can have more. More and more and more. Me, 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 me. And then they came to the house of God and they would bring their obligatory, their, their obligation of, serve, of honoring God with their lips. And the prophet says, He stands in front of the house of God and he says, God does not accept your worship. God says he's upset with your worship. He doesn't want your worship. Your worship is not pleasing to him. And so what it tells me is, woe to me if I don't examine my life. Because here's the thing about worship. Here's the amazing thing about worship. Worship isn't the thing that culminates on Sunday morning and is all in itself a separate item. Worship is the culmination of who I am. I bring it into the house of God and I present it to Him. It's a culmination of the life I live. When the fire hits my life of passion, what is going to come up before the Lord? Am I passionate about money? Am I passionate about accumulating things for myself? Job says it this way. Job said, if I have, if I put my confidence in gold, and I call fine gold the thing I trust, if I have gloated because my wealth was great and because my hand had secured so much, if I had looked at the sun when it shone or the moon when it's in its splendor, if my heart had become secretly enticed in my hand through a kiss from my mouth, that too would have been an iniquity calling for judgment, for I would have been denied by God above. Job 31, 24 to 28. What he's saying there is, if I would have been the type of person that would have worshipped money, he would have constantly be giving his worship money. And see, here's what happens with the heart of worship. Worship is everything that I am. When the passion hits me, what am I passionate about? Am I passionate about things? 
Because here's the truth. The Bible says everything on this earth will burn up. There's only some things that are eternal. Your son, your daughter, your mom, your dad, your neighbor, your friends, your own soul, they're all eternal. But all the material things are going to burn up. And man, Job was saying that when he comes into the house of God, what if the passion hit type of person that said, gold I trust in. And see, what God is doing is He's examining every heart when we worship. And you say, well, at least I'm in the house of God. Those people out there aren't. This conversation isn't about those out there. Because those out there will never be what God wants us to be unless we're who we're supposed to be. God wants to win every person that's out there. God wants every person out there to have the hope of heaven like we have. But if we don't have it, nobody will ever get it. That's why the enemy likes to ruin and spoil our worship. Because God is examining. And God is looking at hearts and there's hearts that come into the house of God and they're like, God, if you'll just give me this. Not that God doesn't want you to ask for the things that you need. Sometimes we're so wrapped up in things that we're a whole lot less worried about people. And that's how these people were. These people were all about accumulating more and more and more and more. And God knew, the more I give you, the more you take for yourself. There's never a part of that that you want to give back to me. God wants to bless every person. Don't get me wrong. But God knows that some people, their God is money. And God's saying, no, 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 no. That's not the heart of God. Some, the Bible says, And that culture, in fact, I want you to hear when Josiah finally comes. Just listen to the kind of things they were doing in here. 2 Kings 23, 1-25, it's a long scripture here, but I just want you to get a flavor for what he ran into when he went into the house of God. Amazing to me. Chapter 23 of 2 Kings, it says, Then the king called together the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple. You know, it had been lost. I don't know how long it was, but they were cleaning out the temple and they found the word of God and it had been lost. Nobody had been reading it. Nobody really knew what the Word of God said. And Josiah was just a young kid. And while they were cleaning all the mess that was in the temple, they pulled out the book of the covenant, the agreement that they made with God. Let me know we've made an agreement with God. God, I'm yours. You're mine. I love you. We're in a covenant together. I'm in your family. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I'm going to be wed one day. I'm the bridegroom, you are the the groom. They found the book which had disappeared. It said, The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep His commands, statutes, and decrees with all of His heart and all of His soul. That's what God's calling us to do. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul. Well, this young boy is doing this as king. And it says... 
thus confirming the words of the covenant that was written in the book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Then the king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, the priest next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove, listen to this, remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. Where are they at? They're in the temple. He tells all of the workers in the temple that were supposed to be watching the sacrifice was done correctly. He said, hey, let's remove all these things for Baal and Asherah. That doesn't shock you because you've not studied Baal and Asherah like I have. I could tell you some things this morning that everybody in this room would blush. These deities that they're talking about here are extremely sexual gods. In fact, they were commonly represented by severe amounts of nudity, very sexual lifestyles and behaviors. Um, There was all kinds of uh, sexual fornication, adultery, homosexuality that was associated with this. And if you don't believe me, study it. Baal and Asherah was disgusting to God. It was an abomination to God. And it was in the temple. That's what happens when you build... Remember, this temple was built for the very purpose of having my own religion. That's what the temple in the north was built for. And now this temple in the south, all the same things you found across the north, the same are there. What's really interesting about this, something I need to look up, The south only existed when Josiah came along. The north had already been overtaken by the Assyrians for a hundred years. But for some reason, Josiah starts at the temple and then goes out of his jurisdiction to the north to destroy all of the northern high places. He actually goes up to Samaria. He goes to Dan. He goes to uh, Bethel. Destroys every false temple that Jeroboam had built but he was the king in the south and it was out of his jurisdiction. Isn't that amazing? I don't know if that was even an act of war or not because they weren't under his rule. But he went all the way up to Bethel to destroy that temple. He went to every high place, destroyed every temple, burnt everything to ashes and got rid of all the disgusting gods they brought in. But by the time Josiah gets there, nobody knows the word of God and they're worshiping the same false gods they worshiped in Bethel and Dan in the house of God. You say, well, what's that have to do with us? If we're not careful, we'll bring a gift to God that is not acceptable. Because everything that I do in worship, and he, they begin to go through I want you to read that whole chapter if you're more curious about it. But everywhere that he went were these Asherah poles. The Baal figurines were everywhere. And what God is asking us is what kind of a heart for worship. In fact, you know that everything that I do for God is worship. When I leave my house in the morning, get this, the way that I treat people, the way I behave around people, if I love people, I'm worshiping God. If I don't, I'm not worshiping. If I pour my heart into doing the Lord's work, 
whether it's building something, speaking a word into somebody's life, we know that's worship. That's me worshiping. If I give a dollar to help somebody, it doesn't matter if it's the least of the brothers, it doesn't matter if it's a cold glass of water, let me know that's worship. So all these different ways I'm worshiping God, and when I come into the church, into the house of God, all I'm doing is bringing all that in and saying, God, I'm yours. I love you with all of my heart, all of my mind, and all of my soul. But here's the part where it becomes false worship. False worship is I'm holding on to parts of my life because I feel like I'm getting an advantage in that part of my life. And so what God wants to know is, now you say, well, wait a minute, I fail. I try to do the best I can in every area of my life. I've given myself to the Lord. How many know the plan of God covers failure? The plan of God covers failure. I can fail and be in right standing with God and have beautiful, pure, awesome, incredible worship before God. It covers failure. But what it doesn't cover is, I'm going to give this part of my life to you, but this you can't have. That's divided worship. That's bringing in the golden calf with pure worship. God, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just want to go to church on Sunday. I don't really want to pour into your work. I don't really want to go to work be a Christian. I don't want to go that far. God, I don't really want to give you this, you know, I just really like watching movies that are on. I just really like watching movies where they're, they're, they're foul, kind of, you know, and I just, you know, everybody else is watching them, and I just give you that part of my life. I just don't want to give up partying, Lord. Love the you understand that we can hold on? I'm not saying those are the only ones. There's lots of things. But it's just the worship that's accepted by God is your life. Let's live it together. Don't hold anything back. Love me with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul. And I'll begin to bless you like you've never been blessed. But the worship that's not received by God is I'll do it my own way. I don't want you to have any input in my life. I don't want you to be, get this, the Lord of What does it mean to be the Lord of your life? It means that I'm giving you control. I'm letting go of my control, giving you control. Some people say, but I want to be the Lord of my life. You want to be the Lord of your life, God will let you be the Lord of your life. But He says you can't serve God and you can't serve the devil. If I'm not serving God, I can't just serve myself. I'm opening the door for the enemy to be a part of my life and destroy me. So what are some of the things, I I wrote down three things here that I think that God looks for in worship. Just to try to, in fact, I tried to think what would make it simple possible. Number one thing that I think is really a big deal in worship is a thing we call humility. Humility, that's not very exciting. You know how you get humility? Funny thing, you get humiliated. I don't like to be humiliated. I want to be the winner all the time. I want to win at everything. I want everything I tell God to happen to happen. I want to be the best at everything. I want to win at everything. And God says, no, worship is humility. 
So how is that? Because the word is rooted in humility. The Old Testament word means to bow down. It means to get low. It's to acknowledge how wonderful it is. It's to acknowledge somebody greater than you. You say, but I'm the greatest. If you're the greatest and you're the best and you always win and you, and you never are humiliated and you don't, you, you don't need God. But worship in its truest sense is recognizing I need God. Like I can't beat my sins. I mean, know that. I can't beat my ignorance. Some of you say, well, I'm not ignorant. You are. I'm ignorant. I am ignorant. That's how I worship God. Because I recognize I'm a man that doesn't have the answers, but God does. I recognize that my way is not the best way. His is. I don't get fooled in prayer by saying, God, do this, when God's saying, you're not as smart as me. And humility will line you up with the will of God more than anything in this world. Pride and arrogance will make you fall. When Amos came to that church, first thing he said is, I am so tired of the pride of Jacob. Because every time they got proud, their, far, their heart went far from God. You tried in your life. The longer you say you've got it figured out, the farther and farther and farther you'll get away from God. The more you say that my survival is depending on having God, the more you'll humble yourself and come after God. What would cause a person to make their own religious system? Intelligence. Pride. Arrogance. I know better than God. I'm smarter than God. I'm telling you, church, we all do it. And if we don't learn to have humility and, and, and respect a God that is so much bigger than all of us, we'll never be able to worship. You can't worship God in pride. You say, well, God, why is God always humbling me all the time? He made me go through this. He made me go through that. He made me go through this. I'll let you have a second. It's pride. Pride. What did Satan, what was the first sin? What was the iniquity that was found in Satan? Proud. I'm better than God. I'm going to exalt myself higher than God. I'm glad we don't do that. I will make me happy. I'll do what I want to do. I'll make my own religious system. God says there's going to be no joy in that. In fact, He says it 20 different ways to the same culture. He brings Hosea in. Hosea has a wife named... I'm going to say the name because they'll throw you totally off. Hosea has a wife who, who becomes a prostitute. And God says, you love that woman like I love the church. Or I love my people. You love that woman like I love them. Even though she's going to be unfaithful to you over and over and over again. She's going to be unfaithful. And in that story, he gives another angel. He says, I love you this much, but you've hurt me this much. And he says, I've done everything I can to make sure that every person that you loved wouldn't be able to take care of you. They wouldn't be able to provide for you. And my hope was one day you'd come back and say, my first husband was better to me than anybody I've ever known. And that's what God's doing today. God's saying, I've been better to you than anybody. You went out to many lovers. But I've been better to you than anybody will ever be better to you. But God is still trying to humble the church. Humble is the most wonderful thing. It's the best pie that you can eat. I mean, know that. Man, apple pie is pretty good. Humble pie. 
Learn to like it because it's going to draw you close to God. It's going to make you depend on God. It's going to make you want to worship God. Say, God, I need you. I need your help. I don't have it figured out. If you've got it figured out, tell me what your plans are the second after you die. Tell me, what are your plans? Because if it's true that you're an eternal being, tell me what your plans are the first moment you're dead. And you'll realize you're not that smart. Say, but I've got to figure it out for a five-year plan. Oh, I bet you do. God's saying, I need people who understand who I am and how big I am. I need worshipers. I'm seeking worshipers who will worship me in spirit and in truth. I'm, I'm looking for them. I'm seeking them out. Second thing you need. You need faith. What is that? The Bible says that he's looking for people who know that he rewards those who diligently seek him. See, most people don't worship and don't trust God because they don't believe that if I seek him, he will reward me. You know why? Because you're disappointed that he didn't answer the way you wanted to be answered. God, why didn't you give me that job? It would have been so perfect. I would have retired. I would have had so much money. I would have so much respect, which helps my self-esteem. People seem great. Great retirement package. God must be bad. God, why didn't you answer my prayer? I was in trouble, and you made me go through the trouble. You made me go sit in a jail cell. God, why didn't you do this with my kids? Why didn't you do this... Here, why didn't you do that there? And what happens is there's no faith in God. There's no understanding that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. So if I have humility, I know I need God. If I have faith, I won't stop whenever I don't get my way. I won't be like a spoiled kid and say, I'm done with you, God, because you didn't do it the way I wanted to do it. Humility and faith. And then here's what's really interesting. Back up. Mike was talking about it. Mike, yeah. What were you saying about obedience? You're talking about obedience, how you have to follow through. The worship, I think you said, was no good unless you have obedience and mercy. And see, here's the thing I can have humility and know I need God. I can have faith that I won't quit because I know I'm putting my trust in the right place. But if I don't have obedience, I'll never do what God asked me to do. I have to be obedient even when I'm not getting my way. Like God didn't do what I wanted Him to do. Now the question is, am I going to follow through and be obedient? Well, what's obedience? That's doing the worship in my life. That's like, am I going to be nice to my enemy? Well, God, I'm kind of mad at you right now. No. Am I going to reach out to somebody who needs somebody to talk to them because they're depressed? And if I do that, that's worship, right? The fact that I would take the time to help somebody who's depressed or has anxiety or, or maybe I've got my last $10 and somebody needs it. Am I going to be faithful to worship God through that $10? No, I'm not. I'm I'm mad at God. So you need 
humility to know that I need God. You need faith to know that He's going to reward me if I stick with Him. It's going to be good for me. But I need obedience even when I don't get my way. And that's worship. You say, well, how does that work? Well, it's time to worship at church. It's time to bring to God my life. Give Him everything. You know, the old worship was a better picture. You had to come in with an animal that you had to slaughter. And it was like everybody knew you did something wrong. I wish we had to come in with a wheelbarrow full of all the stuff during the week. Like, hey, that, there's that $10 that I did out of obedience. Now, here's that work I did on the church. Here's that person I told them I loved them. Here's that person I told them I was sorry. Here's that person that I forgave. See, that's all worship things. That's everything that you're bringing into church every week to give to God. You say, well, what if it's just me failing completely? And I come in and say, God, I'm sorry. That's where it gets good. when You start to understand the heart of worship. What am I bringing before God? What am I bringing before God? My life. What am I bringing before God? My good deeds. Do they save you? No, but it's worship. Worship that's pleasing. If that fire hits my life in the service, man, God's just like, We don't want to be the kind of church. I'm, I'm, I'm here to examine your, your, your worship. I'm here to be one of those leaders that says, do we have acceptable worship or do we not? And you say, well, man, I do it my own way. You know, I pretty well, you know, I go and sexually do anything I want because, you know, I'm here to please myself. I'm here to just really enjoy life. And God can't tell me any different, but I do love God. And say, I've got to stop you. I've got to stop and say, when that fire hits you, that's not going to be sweet smelling for the Lord. You say, but I'm trying and I fail. God knows the intent of your heart, the Bible says. And that might be sweet if you fail. But if you're deliberately saying, I want to bring this life that is not in line with how God said to give it, He's going to smell that offering when it hits the fire. He's going to say, oh boy, he brought some rotten meat. You understand, church, we got to walk into this house and it's my job to make sure you're bringing an acceptable offering. We can't just put the songs on the paper. We can't just put the beautiful slide up there and believe that God's going to receive it. we got to bring an acceptable offering. Not the words of our lips, to honor Him. Don't accept that. Once your heart. Once your full heart. God, I love you. I'll bring everything. I can't wait to go to church. Everything. Everything in me is for you. And that's what God wants all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul. Stand with me. Brian, can I make a request? I don't usually do that. Heart of worship. Can you do that? Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. How many like the song, Heart of Worship? There's one thing that we have to do. God will receive no worship from an individual that has not repented of his sins and accepted Jesus Christ. Truly. You can't just say you're the Lord of my life and I've said a prayer really have to do it. 
You have to say, you, Lord, I don't care how many times I fell, I'll never let go of you. I'll do everything I can to serve you and live for you. And God will forgive you of your sins. This is the most amazing thing in the history of the world. The God of heaven will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you can actually offer worship for the first time that is acceptable to God. You say, but I've done so much in this past. God says, go on. God so loved the world, He gave His only Son to accept you. He wants to accept everybody here this morning. There's no excuse. He wants to accept you. Just receive Him as the Lord of your life. Give Him your heart every week and say, I'm going to do everything I can this week. What if I fail? Covers failure. I want your heart. Praise the Lord. Let's pray this prayer together. And if you mean this prayer, offer a sacrifice to God. We pray this prayer and we mean it. We can lift those hands and, and that's offering a sacrifice. How many know that? That's a symbolism. I'm offering a sacrifice today. Let's say this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins, all my unrighteousness, all of my past. Cleanse me today by your blood, through your death. I receive you as the Lord of my life. I love you with all of my heart, my mind, and my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. If you meant that today, you really mean it. You've never prayed that prayer, but you did today and you mean it. Let me know about that. And if you you said that today, maybe you've been far from the Lord, like the Scripture said. Draw close today. Give a sacrifice and draw close. studying for this message is uh, one of the uh, definitions for worship is to kiss. Kiss. And no, I'm not going to have you kiss your neighbor. Thank goodness. I'm not weird. Right, Eddie? I'm weird. Okay. But listen to this. I mean, no, there's a difference difference in kisses. How did it feel when Jesus got the kiss from Judas? And God put that in my mind to think about. What kind of emotions had to be going through his mind when one of his best friends betrayed him with a kiss? And I want you to think of the kiss that Maybe you have a sick child in a hospital bed and you're sad that they're going through what they're going through. And you see somebody that maybe is a friend that's dying with cancer and you kiss them on the forehead. Church, the worship that you give God determines what kind of kiss he got today. Was it a kiss that said, God, you're everything to me? I love you so much. I'm so thankful. Or was it the kiss of betrayal? 
Like I can't get out of here fast enough to have you murdered. Like I'm not with you at all. You think I'm with you and you think I love you. God, I'm not with you. That's what Judas did that day. Judas didn't know who he kissed that day and betrayed, I don't think. I don't think he knew the repercussions of what he was doing that day. God's just asking us, every time we walk into this building, what kind of kiss are you going to put on my cheek today? Is it the kiss of love that you would give somebody who's in that bed and you love them so much and you can't tell them enough? Like a kiss almost doesn't seem adequate in that situation, does it? Like I want to show you so much how I love you. I know what you're going through. I love you so much, I want you to know that. You walk out of the room. God said, give me that kind of kiss. Give me that kind of worship, that kind of love when you come in every week. That's what I accept. That's what I want. I want to love you. I want you to love me. I love you. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray your blessing upon your people. Lord, may we always burn with acceptable sacrifice and worship before you, Lord God. May we be pleasing in our lives, Lord God, be pleasing every day. Lord, you want us to be accepted. You want to love us. You want to draw us close, closer than any friend, better than any father, Lord. You want to be there for us more than a husband could be there for a wife, Lord. You love us that much, Lord. Bless your people as they go, Lord. Let your spirit rest upon them, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.